Good Friday. Hmm. Where do I begin? First, there was Pilate and the crowds. I remember Jesus not saying much as they were all shouting at who they wanted released and who they wanted crucified. The chief priests and the elders used their power to persuade the crowds to ask for Barabbas so that Jesus would be crucified. Pilate found nothing wrong with him, but the crowds were shouting for Jesus to be crucified. What a turn of events from Palm Sunday a few days earlier, when they were all welcoming him. Now, because of the powerful and their persuasion of the crowds, Jesus was getting crucified. They mocked him, laughed at him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and in the same sentence spat on him. They beat him, they made him carry a heavy cross. Crucifixion was designed for suffering. And yet in the middle of this, Jesus didn't fight back. He somehow had compassion in his eyes. He had this sense about him that his power came from somewhere else. And then they hung him up on that cross. He was there, helpless, beaten, worn, tired, and all of us had pretty much deserted him. We had watched him cast out demons, raise Lazarus back to life, feed 5,000, tell storms to cease. He had all authority and power. Surely he would have the power to fight back and get down from the cross and use his power to forcefully take over. But he didn't. He knew his power was yet to be shown in love. And whenever I see suffering, pain, loss, heartache, I see him there. Well, good evening and welcome to week two of our Easter series called Power Struggle. And you could hear in that account, a firsthand retelling of an account of Jesus' suffering and death through the eyes of someone who followed him and loved him. And you can hear the power struggle going on because that power struggle is just part of life for us as humans. It's part of competition. It's part of conquest. It's part of what shapes how we see ourselves, our confidence maybe in the group or groups that we identify with and align with. And power is a struggle because we attach our idea of it, of power, to those who win, to those who are really good at dominating, to those who can prove how right they are, or those who can make themselves seem important. Or we align with the powerful, and then when they win, we win. And when they're right, we're right. And when they look important, we look important, because we wear their t-shirt or their jersey, or we believe the same, or we speak the same language as they do. It's a powerful game that people play, the power struggle of life. And while power, like we saw last week, can be a source of great good, history is every now and then marked by people who use power for good. But by and large, history is full of examples of abuses of power and the evil that results from that. I love what Paul said last week, that as Christians... We're not called to play games, to, to self-protect our position and our place with power. We're supposed to see power as a responsibility. And when we do, it leads us to service. Now, we've been given position and place in the family of God through Jesus. We've been entrusted with 
the power of Jesus to be part of his work of then empowering and redeeming the people that he loves all over the world all the time. So as much as we're entertained by, as much as we're fired up by, and as much as our lives are shaped by those we perceive to be powerful or those to whom we give power in human terms, as much as we ourselves want to jump into the power struggle and like be somebody, we want to be a power player now, Jesus doesn't play that game. He shows us something completely different. Now, I would say that this time of year, the Easter season, it's perhaps more important than any other time to remember and celebrate along with his sacrifice on the cross, his victory over death and the grave, to recognize and distinguish between the illusion and reality of power. Distinguish between the illusion and reality of power. Look with me at John chapter 18, verses 28 through 32. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, we looked at this story last week, to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Now, the power struggle in this scene is real, and we'll unpack more of it in the verses that follow, but you can see power dynamics here all over the place. We've got the Jewish leaders. They already had their religious power struggle with Jesus in front of Caiaphas, the high priest. Now they bring Jesus to Pilate, another power player. He's the Roman governor, but they won't go in, and it's because of their religious law. They don't want to become ritually unclean, or they miss Passover, okay? So they don't want to contact Gentiles. They can't go into the house of a Gentile, even a powerful, politically powerful Gentile. They'll use a powerful Gentile to kill Jesus, but they won't go into his house. He's got to come out to them. There's power playing in that. And then the arm twisting begins. Well, what charges? Um, Well, he's a criminal. That's why we brought him to you. Well, then judge him yourselves if this is about your religious laws. Well, we would, except we want him dead, and we can't be the ones to do it. You know, ceremonial uncleanness, religious law, all that stuff. But you're a Gentile. God doesn't love you. So you do it. You have to do it. Now, the way the scene is set up, it's something really familiar to us. By all appearances, Jesus is totally at the mercy of power players. Think about it. He's getting dragged around, dragged in front of different groups of people, dragged in front of different powerful people, and everyone else in the story is calling the shots about what's going to happen to Jesus and what did Jesus do and how do we understand it. Anyone looking at this scene without knowing how it was all going to play out, if they were asked, who's got the power here in this scene? They would say, well, the ones doing the dragging. Of course, the draggers always have the power. They have the religious power, the political power, the legal power, the power of numbers and influence. Jesus has none. They have all of it. He is at their mercy. And by appearances, yeah, they'd be right. 
And it's fitting because that's just how life feels sometimes. Now, I know we have a Savior who can identify with us in our weakness, who knows, who has felt everything we know, everything we feel about the difficulty of life and what it means to live in reality. And if we ever tend to forget that, like, okay, I I know it says that, but does he really know how bad it can be? Look at this. This is how life feels for us a lot of the time, most of the time. Like, Like power is something that other people have. Power is something that the people at the top have. The other side has power. And then on the inside, it can often feel like personally, we just have zero Zero power, pulled along by powerful forces beyond us, decisions made about us by other people who don't care what the reality is like on the receiving end, way down at the bottom of the heap where we are. We're at the mercy of everyone and everything else that gets to decide our fate. We don't have a say. And power, individual power, depending on how you grew up or where you're from, sometimes what color your skin is or where you were born in the world, power seems like a fairy tale. Like who made up the idea that I would ever ever have power? An impossible game to play. We're not even sure what the rules of the game are or exactly when it was we were supposed to know we were playing this game, but we know we're losing already. But if you look closer into the narrative here, beyond the appearance of things, we can begin to separate illusion from reality because things are not what they seem. The reality is, while it appears that the Jewish leaders and Pilate have all the power and they're calling all the shots in this drama, they are not. The illusion is that Pilate is the dominant figure. He's asking the questions. He gets to pass judgment. He holds final decision-making authority. And in truth, This guy did have power. He's a Roman governor in a key place, strategically for the Roman Empire. He's in Jerusalem. He wouldn't have lived there, but he was setting up camp there around this religious festival time. That's a big deal. He's got to be there to oversee the goings-on and make sure everything is buttoned up nice and tight. Pilate had authority over enacting Roman law in this province of Rome, over and above even the religious laws of Jerusalem. The Jews could not act here apart from Pilate's approval. But now that's what it looks like. In reality, Pilate is pretty much a puppet. He's being pulled in and out of his own headquarters by the demands of the Jewish leaders. And then as we'll see in a bit, he's kind of sent scurrying around by some puzzling statements from Jesus. Pilate's not calling the shots here. Jesus is calling the shots. Nothing is happening here outside of what Jesus has already set in motion on purpose. It just doesn't look like he's got any power to those observing the scene. Don't forget that Jesus has all the power, even when it seems like he doesn't, like everything else has the power. I've had plenty of times in my life when it felt like I had zero power, like it belonged to everyone else around me, They got to make all the decisions that affected me in big ways, and I was just tossed around at the mercy of those power players. But there was a greater reality at work, and every time I look back, I can see it. In the moment, not so much. I got to work on that. 
But when I look back, I can see the real power of God was there with me, guiding me, using sometimes even the illusion of power or powerlessness to be doing truly powerful things the whole time in my life, in reality. And the same is true for you. I know it is. When it seems like you're at the mercy of power players who are for themselves and not for you, look past the illusion of power and see the reality of God's power in your life. He would redefine our limited definitions of power, including, and this is a key area here, including how we perceive the power of kings and kingdoms. The narrative continues in John 18, 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, all right, here's the deal. Be straight with me. Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, because you say you have a kingdom, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Well, what kind of kingdom is that? What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And you would think if anybody was a threat to the power system at place in a Roman province, it would be somebody who had participated as as a rebel in an uprising against that power. Now, the questions here aren't really about whether Jesus is or is not the king of the Jews. The questions actually lead us to carefully consider what separates earthly kings and kingdoms from the kingdom of Jesus. If he's a king and he's got a kingdom, what's different there? What doesn't make sense to Pilate? Earthly kings and kingdoms are defined by power over others and power taken from others. Earthly kings and kingdoms are all about the power players. Human history reads like a running list of power players fighting, battling, having wars, where the whole point is to win for what? I don't know. To what end? I don't know. And winning as the outcome justifies all the paths that lead to it, including killing people, showing violent dominance, exerting power over others, whole groups of people, Because if we win and we're stronger and more powerful in the world's eyes, then we truly are powerful. If we win, we get to be right. And if someone else holds the power already that I need to prove that I'm right and that I win and that I'm the most powerful, well, then I'm going to win by taking it away from them, getting it for myself, and then using it against them, over them. Earthly kings and kingdoms are characterized by things like taking life, fighting to avoid death, using power to dominate, to pressure, 
Fear tactics, manipulation, game playing, self-preservation. These are the tools and tactics, and just some of them, of earthly kings and kingdoms going all the way back. Not just with military weapons, but with words, with ideas, with money, with laws. And if that's what power is, and if the path to get there is so full of destruction, I've got to ask, what truly is powerful about it? What is truly achieved? What is won by people who win playing that game? And is that real power it takes to win that game? Pilate achieved his position by living according to the Roman Empire's definition of power. And it was that same earthly definition of power. Political game playing. I mean, to become a governor, you got to have some uh, skeletons in your closet. Being the most cunning, being the most devious, perhaps. Manipulating behind the scenes to gain favor with power players so he could increase his own power on up through the ranks. And as a provincial governor, he had quite a bit of power over other people. Power he gained at least in part by perhaps taking it from other people along the way. He did a ton of protecting his position and his place in the Roman government to protect that power that he had so carefully achieved over time. The same thing we saw with the Jewish leaders trying to protect their position in place in last week's portion of the story. In Pilate's mind, and this is why he's putting Jesus on the spot about this king and kingdom thing. If Jesus does consider himself a king, then he has to view Jesus as a potential political rival, maybe a dangerous one. He can only conceive of Jesus as potentially yet another power player in the way he understands it. And if he is, Jesus as a king, if he claimed that, could give the appearance that maybe Pilate has lost some of his ability to govern. If there are these uprisings and people claiming to be king of the Jews, when there's already a puppet king of the Jews, Herod, what if this king tried to take Jerusalem? What if people revolted against the empire in loyalty to Jesus. Well, then it would truly look like Pilate has lost control of a key strategic city, like he's not up to the task, like maybe he's lost his touch and his power has slipped and they will, like that, find somebody to replace him. Someone who could do the job right and squash these little rebellions and little minor kings claiming kingship left and right. And in that, It's not about Pilate having power. It's about Pilate being afraid of a greater power, the power of empire. That's his ultimate authority. That's also at work here. And that fear of that power is dictating a lot of what Pilate does. Trying to catch Jesus like, ha, you are a king. Because if you claim to be a king, now I've got something to charge you with. You're a rebel, a dangerous power player. Jesus doesn't step easily into that definition of power the way earthly kings and kingdoms do. The kingdom of Jesus is defined by other things, power for others. It doesn't make sense to an earthly king. Power given to others. Power redefined. Jesus isn't there to play the game. He's not there to claim kingship that rivals the puppet king Herod politically. Jesus isn't about that. He's not there with a 
an uprising of rebels like Barabbas to challenge the military and governing occupation by Rome. He's not there with renegades to start a fight, not even to have a war of words or philosophies. No matter what anyone else has said about him, Jesus says, my kingdom, my kingship, not from here. It's not like yours, Pilate. Yes, I do have a kingdom, but it's not about your idea of power. It's about testifying to the truth, testifying to the truth of God's love, of God's plan, the truth that God's kingdom now was here on the scene, had broken through to redeem all the brokenness and sin and pain of earthly kings and kingdoms and their systems. That Jesus had come to redefine not just the idea of power, but everything. Now we know that the kingdom of Jesus, we have the benefit of all this history looking back. It's characterized by giving life. It's characterized by what he did to die for others, to serve others, to bear witness to the truth of God, God's love, his plan to redeem all creation, his way of being gentle and offering real comfort and mercy. The loving power of Jesus isn't something to be feared. It's something to gratefully trust in. It allows us to be vulnerable, to not have to self-protect anymore. It teaches us to be humble, gentle, to live as servants, to continue doing his work with him of redefining power in the world. This cannot make sense to Pilate at all. It barely makes sense to us most of the time. Now we can be so grateful that we receive this kind of power. When we benefit from someone giving up their power for our benefit, when someone uses their influence, authority, power, we'd say, for us, to give power to us, to lift us up from where we are to a new place, to show us we're loved or cared for or provided for or not alone. That's the best, but it doesn't sell. It feels the best, but it doesn't win. It can't win. It's not understood in this world. Now the question is, if this is how power is defined by our king, Jesus, if these good things can be the result of real power at work in his kingdom, how do we define power? Or I know what you'd say your definition of power is, the right one, you know, Jesus. But how do you live? In the way you live, what does it say about your definition of power? And if you can agree and know the right answer is Jesus' definition of power is the right one, then how are you living that power? Are you doing what he taught us to do with that power? Are you living that power for others? Are you giving it to others? Receiving it is one thing. That's half of the equation. That's half of our identity. The other half is what we learn power truly feels and looks like as Jesus defines it because we live it out 
like Jesus did. That's real power. His power received and his power given through us, his church, which is created to be a place of great power, but his kind of power, power that puts others first for the sake of love, for the sake of God's glory. Do we live that definition of life-giving power? Because that's real power. Pilate doesn't know what to do with this. What is truth, he asks. I mean, he like throws up his hands. He doesn't even know what's going on here. He's frustrated. Jesus frustrates the power players on all sides. Guess what? He still does. Jesus frustrates the power players. He doesn't play by their rules as much as they try to use the good news of Jesus to get and gain power. When Jesus' name is used to get power that is not in line with Jesus' ethic of power, that's not real power. And that's not real Jesus. He's a different kind of king. He has a different set of rules in his different kind of kingdom. Not at all about playing the game, but about the reality of the power of life and death. And people get this wrong all the time. Just like Pilate, John 19, we're going to read through 16 verses of the narrative. So it might feel kind of long. You just got to look for the power game being played here, okay? Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Power move. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, mocking him. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here's the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. We'll talk about that in a sec. He went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. You see what they're doing? When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. They're doing their job well, I would say. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. 
Pilate doesn't know what to do. So he tries punishing Jesus first to see if that will satisfy the Jewish leaders. The Roman soldiers mock Jesus, beat Jesus, make him bleed, torture him terribly. That's gotta be enough, right? They'll see the blood dripping from his head from the crown of thorns and they'll be like, oh, okay, that's enough. We'll let it go now, he's hurting. But Jesus with his truth of what real power is, is so dangerous to the status quo of religious and political power that the Jewish leaders manipulate the situation to an even further degree, backing Pilate into a corner by using one of humanity's favorite power plays. And that is the power play of the pressure of death. When Jewish leaders say Jesus has to be executed because he claimed to be the son of God, The reason Pilate's afraid is because son of God was a title claimed and reserved for the Roman emperor. The deity worshipped by the people as a divine emperor. What they're saying is, hey, Jesus has claimed for himself a title that puts him in equal authority, position, place, power with the emperor. Jesus is saying, He is equal to the emperor who is the ultimate authority in the world at the time. And if Pilate does nothing and the emperor finds out or a rival finds out, he's guaranteed to be reported for not executing a dangerous political rebel. And he seems to know he's being played. And he tries to release Jesus again. And so they double down and take it one step further yet. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. They just say it directly. Because anyone who claims to be a king, which Jesus has just done, you realize, opposes Caesar. Because we have no king but Caesar. This is not our king. Kill him. And Pilate is caught. What's not said but is implied is, Pilate, come on. If you knowingly release someone who claims to be a king, that's opposing Caesar. And so you also oppose Caesar and you're going to get sent back to Rome and get executed yourself and we'll have ourselves a new governor who does what we want. Throughout history, the pressure of death has been used as the ultimate play, right? And here, even though Pilate claims to hold the power, puts the pressure of death on Jesus, says, don't you realize I have this power? I can kill you or free you. The reality is he's saying that because he's feeling the pressure of death. Jesus doesn't defend, doesn't try to take Pilate's power away, doesn't exert power over Pilate, but he says, okay, yeah, you have that power right now, Pilate, but even that little bit you do have is given to you by my father. This is my doing. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what's truly going on, but I've got the power. In the end, after all the game playing, all the back and forth, the Jewish leaders get what they want. They use the system to manipulate Pilate into giving up, handing Jesus over to the soldiers to be killed. They use the pressure of death to self-protect. Pilate was owned by the pressure of death and had no choice but to submit to it or else. And while it's easy on the surface to think of this as, yep, The bad guys win again, another victory for the unvirtuous power players that get power at all costs, big shots, those cowards who self-protect. 
look beyond the illusion. This is really about the one who holds all the real power, using his power to expose and upend the illusion of it, that pressure of death. He beats it by surrendering to it. But it's not a surrender like we think in human terms that brings defeat. That's the illusion in Jesus' kingdom. The reality there is that this is the surrender that brought life. That was the ultimate power play, you realize. Surrender. He chose surrender for us, for all. Surrender that brought life. It brought victory. It's what we celebrate at Easter, but we don't often look beyond the illusions to see just that reality of his power at work. If we play by the rules of the earthly power game, we get earthly power. Who wants that? In and of itself, it's powerless. But when we give up that power struggle, when we surrender all else and we choose to live the power of Jesus, that's when we know victory, life, freedom, freed from the struggle to self-protect or stomp on other people with our power, for power's sake. We're not here to play games. Jesus didn't do all this to redefine power. He didn't willingly endure death on a cross so we would continue within the old system, the old pressure of death. He did it on purpose, holding all the power to reconcile us to God, to free us from our broken systems, to call us to who we really are, doing that very same work of empowering and redeeming in the world all around us. All who choose to follow Jesus have a choice to make about how now we will redefine power in our lives going forward. We can continue in compromise with earthly kings and kingdoms, or we can give it all up to live the real power, the servant power of Jesus. I urge you tonight, let go of any old definition of power. Maybe you've gained from, maybe you've used against others. I urge you, if you're here and you're someone who has suffered greatly at the hands of other power players or systems, and there are areas in your life that look bleak and hopeless and you feel powerless, step into Jesus' definition of power. That's your reality. If you're powerless right now, you're feeling it, and you need Jesus' power, I got good news. It's here for you. If you know his power, you've been redeemed, transformed, set free, then good news, you get to share it with everybody else. And when we share that power together, which is what we are about here at Jacob's Well, when we come together as the church of Jesus in his name, in his definition of power, it's not so that we can become powerful by any earthly definition, but so that the powerless can know his power and his love. So we have a few next steps that I want to tell you about tonight. And we'll conclude our service with communion. 
The first one is our BFC building project this summer. Now, it's easy to look at something like this and say, okay, well, they just need some people power to put up some walls and to to put up a building and create this space. Here's what we're really doing. We're coming together in our shared power, the love of Jesus, to do something beyond us that not one of us in our individual power could do. And this is all about service, and it's all about doing it, not so that we can put up a structure, but so that people, real people who don't know the power and the love of Jesus can come. As Jesus says, come to me. All you who have been broken down by the system of power in the world and by struggling for your own power, come to me. Learn my way. Let me redefine life for you and follow me. It'll change everything. To that end, we've got an Easter devotional that I would love for you to pick up. We had a bunch of them leave last weekend, but anybody who wasn't here last weekend or just didn't grab one, please take that home with you today. Grab an Easter devotional. And this week, leading up to our Good Friday service at 6 o'clock on Friday evening, we'll have a live service here in the auditorium and another live service down in the north venue. I'll do that one. Paul will do the service in here. So we've got space Tell everyone to come. Invite everyone to come. But spend time personally in meaningful prayer leading up to that Good Friday service and Easter weekend. Use that Easter devotional. And then one great symbol, a representation that we have of what exactly Jesus' power does for us is baptism. It's where we experience what it means that his surrender to death on a cross actually was the ultimate power play. He gave it all up for our sake. And so now we, in the waters of baptism, identify with him in his crucifixion as we acknowledge outwardly this inward redefinition and change that has come because of Jesus. And we stand in new life, death to the old and new life. We've got baptism classes for both adults and children on Tuesday at 6 30, come and learn what Jesus' power is all about in the waters of baptism. And finally, tonight we will remember Jesus by taking communion together. It's our time to remember that Jesus died on purpose so that we can live. In his humanness, we can trust that he felt the same power struggle we feel. He struggled mightily. He struggled where we do, in his gut, in his thoughts, in his inner life. And as he prayed and as he cried out to God just before the events we read about tonight, in the garden, he decided, he made his choice, he decided to surrender there, that his body would be broken for us, that his blood would be shed for us. And he chose it because that's what, power is. It's no wonder that communion is one of the most powerful reminders we have of just who our Savior is and what he's done. We symbolize his broken body, his shed blood with bread and juice. We choose to symbolize his blood coming to flow through our veins now. We become his body, united in his power. Together, the church That issue of power, settled. We at Jacob's Well invite anyone who has chosen to 
follow Jesus as Lord, to come forward and receive communion. As the ushers tonight dismiss row by row, there's a a gluten-free table over here to your right-hand side. I encourage you in the quietness of this moment, back at your seat, holding these symbols of power, of love in your hands. Search your own heart. Not anybody else's, but your own. In prayer before God, settle now any question of the power struggle in you. As the team comes out, please join me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for redefining power. We come to you now unified to remember together your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. Continue, Lord, in your power to transform us into your church, not about moments, not about playing games, but about living this remembrance of you every day. In remembrance of you and what you did with your power, we come to the table. In your powerful name, the name of Jesus, amen.